But the problem with that convoluted system is then all these countries start gathering a bunch of currencies that they really don't need anymore to transact for oil. Plus they're gathering a bunch of currencies that the US can manipulate. And they don't, when they have to unload them in the Forex markets, uh, it's just easier to use gold, which does two things. It's sort of the perfect uh, medium of exchange. And it also removes the West from being able to devalue it. So it's almost like gold was intended to be used over, you know, millennia. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics and excited to have John Little back on the show today. John, who has been making a couple appearances on the show and fortunately is going to be hosting a show on Arcadia on Wednesdays going forward because John, uh, quite an interesting guest, does some great research and as I've been looking to bring some diversified opinions on the show and just make things fresh going forward. It's going to be excited to have John on Wednesdays. So we wanted to do a call today where we'll be digging into a whole bunch of metals related topics, especially some of the things that are going on in Russia, where, you know, we heard a lot of news earlier last year and temporary gold backing to the ruble. And John's been following up on that, finding some things that are going on. So really exciting to have you on the Wednesdays going forward, John. And with all that said, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm in Pittsburgh and I'm lucky to be alive. It's, you know, I had this train in my backyard. I think I talked about last time I was on your show and my wife goes, why are we near this train again? And I go, cause when it stops, we'll know, you know, to get out of town. It's sort of like kind of the first sign of things going south. So I'll probably be joining you all in Mexico or Panama or somewhere else. But for now, I'm just grateful to be here and especially to be on your show with you know, brilliant minds like yourself and Rafi and Mr. Kranzler and Vince. So awesome 2023. Um, anyway, thanks for having me on. And I look forward to interacting with your guests and your audience in 2023. It's going to be a great year. Well, I'm excited to have you as a part of it. And people have certainly enjoyed your appearances and hopefully, uh, Hopefully things will stay safe and well in the United States. Uh, I like to imagine that maybe there will be a transition, yet somehow that human spirit comes together and we figure out solutions, even if life changes a bit. But we'll see how it goes, and you can keep us posted on life in the U.S. as well. But with all of that said, let's dig into something that you've been looking at, which is Russia and Sergei Glazyev, who has been behind the scenes with a lot of the planning for some of the financial aspects of the move. And again, we've heard a lot of talk about going to a currency backed by a basket of commodities, obviously not uh, an overnight thing, but why don't we start there and can you tell us what you've been finding out and what might be the plan going forward? Yeah, let me try to explain this the best I can. The most interesting thing I found in diving into this character. He's a brilliant economist named Sergei. And in 2014, when U.S. staged a coup in Ukraine, trying to replace a democratically elected um, president with a Western-friendly president, um, the, so there was a first round of sanctions. 
And the first person sanctioned was Sergei Glasiev. And it's very interesting because he's not a really a military general, nor a politician, uh, nor a, an oligarch. And that's usually the three tiers that are, you know, victims of sanctioning. But he's an economist. And he's so he's had time to work on this playbook, knowing that in 2022, this round of sanctions would be coming. Um, so you got to think of why are people or why are people, let's say, in China, Russia, India, and the expanding network of countries that are joining BRICS, why are they so eager to get out of the orbit of the U.S. dollar? And it's mostly because of the way that the dollar is this financial weapon. It can be printed up into oblivion to where the people holding that dollar, then all of a sudden their, their money's devalued at any time. Um, people have to hold it to buy oil, or they used to have to, and they also have to hold it to pay their foreign debt that's dominated, you know, in U.S. dollars. And then the other weaponized aspects of it is that the, you know, the U.S. has always been able to print it up and then receive tangible things like our Toyotas, our Samsungs, our Apple phones, all the products you see in Target and Walmart in terms of our shirts, they're usually made overseas. Almost everything that we have in this consumer-based economy is made overseas. So that's a huge disadvantage for the people in the emerging markets. And, you know, lastly, the fact, though, two other things. The U.S. can confiscate another country's assets like we just did uh, at the start of the Ukraine war. We did that with Russia's assets. And this has happened with Iran and Venezuela or whoever we don't agree with, um, or Gaddafi in Libya. And lastly, you can block someone's access to SWIFT. So it's understandable that people would want to not have anything to do with that type of system. And so enter uh, Sergey, who's engineered what he's calling um, the gold-pegged ruble 3.0. Uh, and Polzar of Credit Suisse, who, you know, doesn't work for Putin. He's just, he works for a Western bank basically said that it could double the price of gold simply by right now that since we sanctioned Russian oil and put a cap of $60 per barrel um, by enticing countries like India, and they are takers right now, by offering two barrels of oil per gram of gold. And why would people then want to transact in gold? We need to talk about that a little bit. Um, the basic reason is that as all these foreign countries are trying to transact with each other, like India says to Ru Russia, says to India, hey, will you accept our rubles? Yeah, if you'll accept our ru rupees. But the problem with that convoluted system is then all these countries start gathering a bunch of currencies that they really don't need anymore to transact for oil. Plus, they're gathering a bunch of currencies that the U.S. can manipulate. And they don't when they have to unload them in the forex markets uh it's just easier to use gold which does two things it's sort of the perfect uh, medium of exchange and it also removes the west from being able to devalue it so it's almost like gold was intended to be used over you know millennia um it's the perfect medium of exchange and we know that other nations don't trust each other's currency 
they're not used to this because since Bretton Woods, it's always been the almighty dollar. So now that they have this new system um, and they don't trust each other's currency, gold steps up and does the job it's supposed to do. So, you know, there's no counterparty risk and it's a perfect, it's the perfect plan. You know, we don't really need a basket of commodities. You already have gold to do its job. And, you know, it's no matter of wonder that Sergei Glasiev was the first person that the uh, that U.S. sanctioned way back in 2014. So I hope I, that answered your question. Okay. Well, have you been able to find out anything in terms of the specifics of what the plan is now or where they're going from this point as in terms of just how we've, we've heard them talking about it, yet seems that kind of in a waiting mode to see what what's well, actually the next step out of Russia. Yeah, I've I've looked at some charts and I you know, I found a guy on Twitter that follows India and and other and Russia and China and he's posted some charts on trade right now that Russia has had like for instance with India. And it it goes along flat and then in, in the last 3 months despite we're seeing that that Russia has already um, trading big time with Saudi Arabia. These are new trade partners with them. So they are beginning this trade. Now, can I prove that it's denominated in gold? No, I can't. But I know we can look at what they're doing. And what have we seen with China, Russia and India lately? In, in the last quarter, we saw more gold activity than we had seen in the since uh, the Nixon closed the window in the 70, I think it's been 55 years. So I, I say circumstantially, the move is already well underway. There you go. Yeah, it certainly seems like it as China, even updating their gold reserves. And, and that's of course, in the midst of a lot of central bank gold buying, we've also seen that announcement from Ghana where they're talking about using gold to pay for their energy. So certainly a lot happening. Then add in that you had that recent meeting with China and Saudi Arabia, where it seems as while well, the U.S. places sanctions and, and tells the OPEC how to run the oil market, that they're just increasingly going to some of the eastern nations and making trade arrangements. So definitely appears as if things are heading that way. And uh, another thing that you mentioned that we were talking about offline was that you've seen the involvement of silver in this. And I was curious, anything you've heard on the silver side? You know, I, I, you can go and Google um, ruble 3.0, I think is the keywords. And then you'll see an article pop up that's, uh, of course, there's no reporting in the West on this at all. So then you'll see an article uh, in some Eastern sources. I found a Russian article and I clicked on the English translation. Um, and that's where I read the role of silver. It's very much works like this. If, if the big transactions are happening in gold, such as moving tankers full of oil, to do such, these are when you put in your purchase order and you're India and you want uh, Russia's oil. And think of India now. You got to remember this is a country that has U.S. outsourced jobs for the past thirty to forty years 
India took up, India and China took up most of those jobs and parts of South Asia were for textiles or our shirts at Walmart and stuff. But this is a place that's very hot, India, and it's 1.3 billion people or close to that. So if it, and only 5% of the people have air conditioners in a country that's scorching hot. So you got to think that as they've been lifted out of misery into the middle class, they too are going to want to have cool homes and to have modern appliances like refrigerators that use a ton of energy. So they're buying every single bit of oil they can from Russia. And again, those are all huge purchase orders that you pay for using currencies, you know, that are backed by gold, soon to be backed by gold. So the silver comes in for all the other sort of bureaucratic things like businessmen. This is what I could glean from online sources. All the sort of expense accounts for sending executives back and forth, uh, meeting, so for their meals, hotel rooms, and some of those other things that aren't huge purchase orders like a tanker full of oil, the, the idea will be to tether some of those purchases to silver. So that, but those add up to be huge. If you think of, you know, flights, hotel rooms, meals, salaries, and all the things for, think of, of all the, what I would consider the bureaucrats that are going to be necessary to roll out this uh, gold-backed ruble 3.0. You still need, just like, in the US, we think you can't just do everything in $100 bills. You still need the tens, twenties, $5 tens, um, quarters. You need all those things. And you just can't, what are you gonna do? Shave off pieces of gold? So anytime gold's involved, um, you just gotta remember it always pulls along silver without, I can't think of an exception to that. Yeah, That's sort of my answer. Yeah, and certainly you would expect uh, if gold continues to increase in value, certainly interesting, not far off from that $1,900 level. And so far we have not seen, well, we've seen a rally in silver, but not perhaps uh, at least looking at some of the historical levels, what many might have expected. Uh, although, John, in terms of China, what do you think they're thinking as we as we hear the plans of perhaps a ruble 3.0, some sort of gold backing. How would that fit in with what China's doing? Obviously, they've been importing large amounts of gold for a long time. Uh, did an interesting interview with London Paul recently where he talked about how in 2016, China actually talked about going to a gold-backed yuan and was told by the U.S. that if they did that, would be considered an act of war. Um, any thoughts on, on how... China would be involved or respond if there was something like that from Russia? Well, I agree. First of all, uh, London Paul is far more knowledgeable than I am, when it, especially when it comes to China. Um, I would say, though, it is no matter of coincidence um, that they did actually extend um, the olive branch towards the United States and says, Let, let's come up with a system that all of us can agree on is fair. But you got to remember, if U.S. can always be the reserve currency and print and devalue everyone else's, then they didn't want, I could see why. Um, and every time U.S. goes, so they said, we'll go to war over that. That's pretty damn uh, telling in and of itself. If you think of every time we have gone to war, including this one in Ukraine, I mean, 
take Saddam, who said, I'm going to trade outside the U.S. dollar. Boom, we invade Iraq. Take Gaddafi, who set up the gold dinar, or what was the dinar, excuse me, uh, with some real powerful countries in Africa. And then, boom, we attacked. Same with Ukraine. So it wouldn't surprise me that we would say that with China. Um, so I, I think that will be, and that is the tension between the East and West is over gold. And, it, you know, U.S. has such a hatred towards gold to the point where Roosevelt confiscated it, to where Nixon um, took it out of, uh, you know, circulation or the, being pegged to the dollar. Um, the, our history is all the swapping that we, I mean, if you look at the two unanswered questions that the, that the East would have towards us is we want to know why you demonetize gold through allowing all these, uh, def these swaps through the futures market. And secondly, why hasn't Fort Knox ever been audited? No one knows if the West has any gold, but we have a pretty good idea that India, they're, they're the champions of gold. Their people have 50,000 tons. So they're in first place. Second place is thought to be China, who, according to Alistair McLeod, is north of 20,000. And that's just the bank. That doesn't count the people's holdings. And then I'd say in third place is Russia. But you got to look at all these other countries, too, that you've had Andy Sheckman on your channel, who painted that brilliant picture of what's going on with the Belt and Road Initiative um, and all the countries that are uh, repatriating gold and how this was a perfect setup. So you got those are a lot of those countries, um, you know, Turkey, uh, the Saudis, you know, these are big markets that are all and you mentioned Ghana. And I believe they actually did as of recently as last week pay for some oil in gold. I'm pretty sure I saw that last week. Yeah, it's it's like it's the things that we've been talking about for some people decades. Uh, I've been digging into this about 13 years now, 14, I guess it is. Uh, but it's like they're finally happening now. It's no longer a matter of one day. And I get that because on one hand, you know, I think people uh, – look at the dollar situation and there isn't it's not like there's a, a replacement fully ready to implement to, to to switch over to yet you see at least the foundations of something happening so interesting and to see what's going on with russia and whether they do make some sort of transition perhaps along with china and John, speaking of transitions, there's something that we've talked about a fair amount on the show here that you wrote a great article about, which is the transition to the green economy, which counts on, ironically, a lot of metals being mined. It's on the process of reducing carbon transmissions and, and making the world safer and greener and all of that, uh, going to require a lot of metal. I'm going to pull up the article you have here because you did a great job of putting some numbers on just how much of these different metals would be needed to meet some of these initiatives. And I was wondering if you could walk through for people what you found there, because some of the numbers are rather stunning. Yeah. I, Dave Morgan asked me to look into this, and I spent about a month digging into what it would take um, a couple of years ago, an article was published that said the path to net zero, I believe were the key words uh, 
And this is sort of the playbook that has to do with ESG and the pivot to a green future is basically hinged on phasing out fossil fuels and the internal combustion engine and replacing it with electric motors. And the other electrification occurs um, for power generation. So to do that, then you would need a ton of batteries. You got to remember if you have these huge windmills and they're whether they're offshore or on land, you have to have the, the generators storing the power in the batteries. And likewise, so it's not just the cars we drive, it's the buildings we occupy that actually use more energy than the cars we drive when you think of the HVAC uh, drain for heating and cooling. So all I did was look at their very goals, what they wanna do, and they have them in sort of 10 year tranches, what we want by 2030, 2040, and then net zero by 2050. And if those are the numbers of how many years it would take of mining effort to get to the key metals, you know, copper, nickel, lithium, cobalt, graphite, silver. Um, and I just thought to myself, and this is why I can't wait to work with some of the miners that you have on your show and fabulous people, because we need, just like we need, you know, food and water, we're gonna need these metals. Um, and I can't think of more job security than to say, well, we're going to need these metals for the next, you know, thousand years. So let's just focus on the next till between now and 2050. You know, where are you positioned for the next 25 years? Um, it seems like a, a no brainer. And it's and the Silver Institute sort of missed the boat on this. They had a chance to talk. They did a great job of saying that silver is um is going to be in huge demand but they really didn't count up um they miscalculated the use of uh solar panels and there's a gentleman named chen lin who actually had to go back and say well they they missed the the, the key silver solar panel that's going to be used and the fact that now solar panels are double-sided so they take the uv from the sky as well as it uh reflecting off of the desert or even the snow when they put these panels up in around the Arctic. So yeah, that's uh, the article too. just sort of paints a picture of why we allow some of these lies to exist. We shouldn't just say that fossil fuels are going away. Uh, and there's been th this reminds me of a story that broke last in the last quarter of the year, actually the last part of de mid December, where the Department of Energy trotted out all these scientists at the ignition lab in California to say, hey, we've got this great new nuclear fusion technology that's actually gaining more energy than went into it. The funny thing is, is it didn't calculate, they used these lasers to, to zap these hydrogen cells and said, we're getting more energy out of it. You know, like a, almost like we have a perpetual motion machine. And as it turns out, they didn't count all the energy that it sucked from the grid to power the lasers. So it's, you know, the great lies of 2022, you know, that was one of them along you know, the fact that we're not in a recession to me is the, the biggest lie of 2022. You look at all the layoffs that are happening across, even right before Christmas, FedEx laying off tons of people, Amazon who, who sucked up a lot of the, uh, 
mom pa retail space, you would think of all people right before Christmas, Amazon lays off 17,000. And then it's been from there, Salesforce, Redfin, Goldman Sachs, Stripe, you know, hundreds of thousands of people being laid off yet we're not in a recession. So that was the big lie of 2022 that we're not in a recession. What else? So we've gone over quite a bit. Um, and I just want to reiterate my enthusiasm for, for being with you all in 2023 on a weekly show. Well, I'm certainly excited about it because I know you do some great research and uh, we had a whole list of topics uh, that some of which we got to today, some of which people can look forward to in the Wednesdays going forward. Um, and just I'll pull this back up for a second before we wrap up here, but just I had the silver part highlighted, but here lithium 1,386 million tons are needed. 2019, we had 0.086 million tons produced. So it would take 16,121 years of lithium production to reach uh, some of these goals, which it seems like it's going to be hard to, to meet some of these numbers. But fortunately, that's the type of thing that we'll be able to look forward to digging into for us every Wednesday. And right, just excited to have you on board. And people loved when you've been on the show before. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun having you here and uh, appreciate you being a part of the team. Yeah, I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm glad you shared some of those articles and every week we'll have more and more of that content. We're just going to try to talk about things that aren't routinely discussed or silenced by Western media sources. So, well, I think you. you're going to Go be a, just I think you're going to be a great voice for that. Looking forward to it. And thanks for making some time to talk today. And we will see you again next Wednesday. Okay, cheers, my friend. Well, thank you, John. Always fun catching up with him and hearing what he has been digging into in his research and excited that he will be taking over the Wednesday show on the Arcadia channel. So, you know, there have been a lot of fans when we've had John on and he will be joining us each Wednesday going forward. So we'll be looking forward to that. And again, before we wrap up, I'd like to thank BlackRock Silver, who actually had some news out yesterday because... As I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they actually found a lithium discovery at their Tonopah North project. And yesterday they had an announcement of what they're going to do with that as they entered into an agreement with Tierlock Resources, which gives Tierlock an option to acquire up to a 70% interest in the lithium minerals from that project. And in exchange, Tierlock will be providing the capital for a lot of the exploration, which could include a feasibility study within five years. The way the agreement is structured is that the first option allows Tierlock to earn up to a 51% interest in exchange for an aggregate investment of $5 million, which includes $500,000 in expenditures before January 9, 2024, and at least $4.5 million in expenditures on or before January 9, 2026. Then the second option to that would allow Tierlock to take that up another 19% to 70%, in return for expending an additional $10 million and also the cost of a 43-101 feasibility study. And as one of the conditions going back to BlackRock, Tierlock has agreed to pay BlackRock $100,000 in U.S. cash on or before April 30th. 
Also worth noting is that those percentages of the lithium that Tierlock would get is the lithium only does not include any gold or silver mineralization on that project. And in the end allows BlackRock shareholders to keep the upside of having exposure to the lithium. And by having that done by a group in Tierlock that has more experience in lithium discoveries and allowing BlackRock to stay focused on their gold and silver program. So congratulations to BlackRock on that deal. Certainly exciting that they found the lithium deposit and then now have structured an arrangement that seems like a net positive for the company and allows people to stick to their strengths. So thank you to BlackRock for bringing us today's episode. And to hear from Andrew Pollard, who runs BlackRock, I caught up with him in December, where he talked about the different developments with the company. And that video is coming your way now.